So let's get 2020 going. Let's get 2021 going. <laughs> Welcome to Going In Tight. Coming out loose. Welcome back, everybody, to Going In Tight, Coming Out Loose. This is Chris Gibson, and with me, as always, is Bart Lewis. We hope you had a very happy holiday, and we want to wish everybody a happy new year. We can finally kick 2020 to the curb. We got to end it on a relatively high note with the Pocono Raceway podcast team. They invited us on, and we were grateful for that experience. Got to throw a big thank you to Kevin, Kevin, and Chrissy. And JJ, who we didn't get to meet, but his presence was felt on the podcast. We had a great time with them. Make sure you go listen, subscribe, rate, review, follow, unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate, review, and follow. Uh, make sure you're, you're doing everything for them as, as much as you guys do for us. So Bart, what are you excited about in 2021? Really excited. It's a new year, new NASCAR season. We're only 33 days from NASCAR it's starting up in Daytona. Uh, what would be speed weeks, but I think it's speed month this year because we're going to be there uh, for quite a while um, with the, the addition of the road course, which I don't think anybody is mad about. Uh, but we've got a lot of upcoming, exciting episodes here at the podcast. We've done a lot of planning over the off season. I think we're really going to enjoy the, the upcoming episodes, but we're going to kick it off with a bang. We got the man, the myth, the legend, Bob Pockris. If you guys aren't familiar, Bob works for FS1's Fox Sports and he is a wealth of knowledge of NASCAR. He's been a journalist within the sport for nearly 30 years now. He has followed a lot of drivers throughout their career and just knows so much. When it comes to his style of journalism, he is turning over every rock, finding every piece of information that most people are not even thinking about mm -hmm. getting. And we got to talk to him. We, we get to hear from him every day on Twitter and on TV, but... Um, we don't know a, a whole lot about him and just how he started his career and any advice that he can give folks as they as, as they may be trying to do the same thing. So uh, without further ado, let's kick it off. Bob Foster. I mean, starting out, Happy New Year to you. Um, are you a big New Year's resolution guy, Bob? Uh, no, I'm not a big New Year's <laughs> resolution guy. You know, I pretty much uh, just put my head down, go to work, uh, and if I do. A, if I do a New Year's resolution, it, uh, I guess it's, uh, it's just kind of coincidence that it goes with New Year. You know, if I'm <laughs> done, I'm gonna put my mind to it and and get it done. Uh, it probably doesn't matter what time of year. I think it's best not to have any. I, I already, I said I'd drink more water, and I did not do that today. So. <laughs> <laughs> not often well, you start. still got you know 360 <laughs> days left to, to, to fulfill it so you could still i think you can still get it done i can turn it around well mm. we appreciate you being on uh we wanted to have you on and hear more about you um the whole goal of this podcast really is for fun but to really learn about people that we don't typically hear from every sunday and while we hear from you almost every day on twitter and and uh, fs1 and we don't really know a whole lot about you, so we just wanted to bring you on and, and, and talk to you. All right. I, 
Hopefully it's a hopefully it's a good one. Uh, may not be interesting as that uh, old uh, Davy is that Davy Allison poster you got there, but uh, yeah, yeah. do my best. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, we got to talk to you a little bit on the Pocono podcast that we did, but uh, we wanted to hear a little bit more about how you became a sports writer uh, at the Daytona Beach News Journal. Yeah, so I uh, went to Indiana University and studied journalism there and worked for the school paper there in the late 80s and early 90s. And when I graduated, I sent out about 250 resumes or so and uh, Daytona Beach called first. <laughs> and, uh, and I got that job. And so I packed up a old, uh, I think I old, brought my, my brother's hand-me-down Camaro or something <laughs> like that. Had some rust strategically placed on the hood and put everything I own in there and drove uh, to work for the Daytona paper, uh, kind of based in DeLand, about 20 miles outside of, uh, outside of uh, Daytona. So that is, uh, that's how I got to, um, to Daytona Beach. Um, just, you know, the first job out of college covering a couple of high schools. And there's this track then called Volusia County Speedway. That was about okay. 15 to 20 minutes from DeLand. And, uh, and they had a Bush series race back in the day. They were asphalt. It's now Volusia Speedway Park. Most, more, maybe more of your listeners know that, that. And it had gone from a dirt track to an asphalt track. When I was, when I was there, it, was, it had be, just become an asphalt track. And soon after, they realized they, it was difficult to keep uh, the asphalt. Uh, the asphalt was actually breaking up. They were running a July 4 weekend Bush race there. It was so hot that the pavement was actually coming apart. And so they ended up... Uh, making that a, a dirt track again. Yeah. So would you say like, when would you say, like you told us you were covering a little bit of uh, some of the smaller tracks, but when did your fandom become full blown for NASCAR? Well, you know, I've always approached NASCAR as a journalist. Um, and, but obviously if you're working in Daytona, you know, first off, I grew up in Indianapolis, so I knew racing, but right. I did, wasn't all that familiar with stock car racing. Uh, and so when you move to Daytona, there's this thing called the Daytona 500 <laughs> and it takes a lot of people to, uh, and as the sport grew, it took more and more people to write about it. But, you know, I started covering the Daytona 500 in 92 and other speed week events, uh, in the years after that. And so, and, and then, and back then, uh, teams were allowed to test in December. It, it would be like Ford would have three days and then Chevy would have three days and then Dodge would have three days and then Xfinity would have three days and trucks would have three days. And then January that would happen again. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we would see drivers in December. We would see them in January. We would see them again, obviously in February and we see them in July. So it, there was a lot of time to talk to drivers and, 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 and kind of immerse yourself in uh, in NASCAR uh, then uh, I didn't become really a full, I didn't full-time cover NASCAR until 2003. In September, 2003, I joined the staff at, uh, at NASCAR scene magazine. What do you have any advice for anybody looking to, to go your route into sports journalism of, of, of really how to grow their career to the point you've gotten? Well, I mean, I, I think th there's a lot of different paths. You know, I, I would say, you know, if you look at, you know, my, my history, you know, I worked at the Daytona paper for 12 years before I started covering NASCAR full-time for a weekly magazine that turned into a website and then folded into other websites. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and if you look at like Jeff Gluck, he worked for the Rocky Mount, uh, North Carolina newspaper, and then out in San, um, 
San Bernardino, California, you know, newspaper. And Nate Ryan worked for the Richmond paper and the San Bernardino paper. And, um, you know, so a lot of us didn't just get into it to cover racing. We got into it to cover sports, right? And and racing in some ways found us, you know, or we, you know, it was, it was, some, it was an opportunity that came up, you know, through our careers and, uh, you know, and you think you enjoyed watching it like we do other sports and, and it provided a career path. And I think that's, you know, if, if you're looking to get into racing, whether it's public relations or marketing, I would, I would say, don't just focus on racing, focus on lots of things. And, and if you have a job that could potentially have a little bit of racing, it allows you to learn about other things, help you do things that you're uncomfortable with, but also um, have a lot of contacts, both inside and outside of racing that can help you throughout your career. So that, that's my, that's my main advice to people. Um, you know, that's, uh, you, you're, you're, as long as you have some racing that you can do, people are going to notice, you know, whether it's at a, a short track, you know, or, or, or a big track, there's, there's enough people who are going to be around and who are going to follow what you do that, uh, that, that, that you can be noticed. Um, again, you know, that I would say about 90% of the media center have college degrees. So a college degree is, um, is, is still important. And, the, uh, you know, and again, if you look at where people are hiring, they're hiring like the Charlotte Observer's NASCAR writer, she was doing an internship at the, at the Washington Post, right? And so they saw a sports writer who they want on their staff, and she's doing soccer and NASCAR. She doesn't have a whole lot of NASCAR background, but they know that she's a good reporter and a good writer, and that, and she can learn about NASCAR. And I think that's the way, um, you know, and, th and that's going to help it helped her not only get this job that she has, but it can help in her getting jobs going forward. Um, you know, if, if, for, you know, if, if NASCAR, you know, if, if there comes a point where they say, okay, we're going to have less NASCAR coverage. Right? right. So I think that's, that, that's the key. For sure. So you, do you currently live in New York city? Is that right? I do. Yep. So how did you end up get? how did you get so that, to New York City? That, that's where my wife is. And oh. so uh, I wanted to uh, spend more time with my wife. And when <laughs> there was, when, yeah, you know, and, um, <laughs> you know, the, I mean, going back and forth from Charlotte to New York was, uh, you know, it wasn't always the most, it's not the most fun. Long distance relationships are never fun. And, you know, my job primarily is to be at the track on the weekends. And there's certainly as many planes flying out of New York, if not more. Um, than Charlotte and you can also easily get to Charlotte so uh, I think that's one of the other things that uh, you know when you talk about advice is that you can now do your you know maybe 10 or 15 years ago you couldn't necessarily you do your job from anywhere and certainly there's um, you know obviously if something comes up you know I'm I'm not a 15 minute or a 30 minute drive from the shops in Charlotte but you know I yeah you can you know, I used to go to Charlotte very, very somewhat often, you know, and, and, and visit shops or talk, go and talk to people or do things. So uh, I think the thing is that now you don't necessarily need to, you know, there, there's certainly more flexibility in where you base yourself and, and, and what you, uh, and, and covering the sport. For sure. Yeah, we're all working virtual these days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so what is a typical day-to-day -day in normal world? So like prior to this year, this past year, uh, what was it a day-to-day -day for you normally? And then how has that changed this past year? 
Well, at the racetrack, it was always just getting there when the garage opened and walk around a racetrack talking to people. My job is pretty much a networking job, right? You go talk to one person and then you find something out. You go talk to the next person to see if that person was lying to you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and, and you, you know, and you look around and you and you see and you had the schedule of when interviews, some interviews were taking place. And it, but it's. So it's really a mix of, okay, these interviews or press conferences are scheduled at these times. And these other times you're walking around uh, networking with people. Often you'd, I'd have a list of people I'd want to see or topics I wanted to cover to make sure that, you know, I, I was always trying to check on news. And then, you know, post-race obviously was talking to drivers and crew chiefs after the race and, 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 and doing writing. Uh, during the week, a uh, typical day now is to go try to get in a 5k um, first thing in the morning and, you know, and listen to a racing podcast uh, while I'm doing it. So uh, it's work in a little bit of ways, right? <laughs> no, um, you, it takes, uh, you, you know, you, you want to look good for TV, right? So, uh, <laughs> so it's a little bit of um, a little bit of workout, a little bit of personal health and a little bit of work all mixed into one. And then it's mainly uh, phone calls and texts and writing and planning and Zoom meetings and Zoom calls and and, and that kind of thing. Uh, obviously, Zoom is new for most of us since <laughs> the pandemic started. And uh, when you ask how things change, it's a matter of, you know, at the racetrack, you can, you know, when, when I would talk to people, typically it was when they, you know, they're just kind of hanging out, right? They, you know, the crew chief who's hanging it by the garage, he's kind of done with what he needs to do. You go up and you can have a casual conversation. And now, you know, you're pretty much, you know, texting people or emailing people and you really don't know how busy they are, right? You don't know, you don't want to bother them if they're really busy, but you don't really know. So I think that's, I think the biggest challenge now is that you don't, um, you know, you, th that flow of information doesn't come as casually or as easily. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that we miss is that we don't get a lot of uh, feedback. You know, we don't get, you know, if you're walking around the garage and you've just written something, you know, there'll be people come up to you and hear say nice story or that that was BS, you know, <laughs> and, and it's good to hear both, right? It's good to hear, you know, I, if you have good relationships, you can, people feel comfortable saying, hey, you, you missed the boat on that one. And, and that's important for us to hear, right? Uh, we may not agree with it, but it's important to hear what um, what people are thinking. And I think we miss we miss a lot of that feedback, and we miss a lot of that, you know, uh, hey, you wrote this, but you know what, you really should check out. We 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 don't get a lot of that right now um, through uh, through Zoom calls. So it also means you're 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 on the phone. Of, I would say a little bit more during the week with people that you normally would have seen at the track which then means less time on phone during the week of people who you don't, who you wouldn't see at the track. Right. right. Because usually, you know, there's no reason for me to call a crew chief during the week. If I'm already going to see him Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, but if I haven't talked to a crew chief in a month and I want to touch base on some stuff, then, you know, then that's going to require a phone call now during the week. So how many times has it happened where you've had one of these guys come up? Because I, when I went to journalism school at a little school called Murray, Murray state and, mm -hmm. um, That's I wrote in Kentucky, in, right? Yep. Yep. All um, right. Little town in Western Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I wrote an article one time that got one of the deans of the business school upset who I was friends with. So I want to know how often it happens to <laughs> Bob Pockris where he writes something and, you know, 
Chase Elliott or Jimmy Johnson's coming up to you going, Hey, occasionally, I mean, they don't usually, I think, you know, it's all about relationships, right. Mm -hmm. And you hope that they're comfortable enough um, that they're, that they're willing to tell you or talk to you. You know, I mean, there have been times where people said, you know, where publicists says, Hey, come to the hall or someone. So just, they just want to help understand why you did something, you know, or why you Mm -hmm. wrote it this way. And, and those conversations are good for both of us. Right. Um, you know, how often does it happen? You know, I would say as far as the subjects of the story, maybe five to 10 times a year, you know, um, but I would say you know, probably 20 times during the year, like somebody in the garage is probably mad at you on <laughs> something. And that's, but the, the, it's the challenge of covering NASCAR versus other sports. Like if you were covering like a baseball team, you're, you're with the home team all the time, right? So if you write something about the visiting team, they, they may not see you for another three months. But in NASCAR, you know, if there's a fight or if there's a controversy, uh, there's always going to be two sides to the story, right? And usually... Um, neither side is going to be uh, pro- you're probably thinking the same way or if you present an opinion you know you're, you're there's gonna be one side that doesn't agree with you and so you know yeah. you it's 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 okay you know I think I mean I start doing journalism in the early you know I went to college I graduated high school in 87 you know no cell phones or anything and somebody could you know cuss you out or, or be mean to you and nobody would know except for you and that person right and now everything is everything is on video everything is you know there aren't a lot of private conversations um or as many private conversations so i think there's probably less of that now than there than there was before just because you know it's not worth making a scene and and uh and having a little bit of drama uh not that i you know I mean, again, you, you want to have good relationships with people, but again, in the nature of the business is that uh, there are going to be people who are upset with you uh, from time to time. And over the years, I mean, you're obviously, there's no question of why you're dedicated to this. And you've just listed probably 10 or 15 reasons what keeps the excitement going. Um, on top of all that, and you mentioned earlier that you do cover it from a journalistic perspective, and uh, we obviously understand that part, but have you had any favorite drivers or been a fan of anybody? Well, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, Jeff Gordon was always a driver who, no matter what you asked, it seemed like he, even though he was answering it for the hundredth time, it sounded like he was answering it for the first time. And and it felt like that he thought about the answer or his reaction was natural enough that you know, you're like, okay, he's, he's treating the question with respect. Right. And that's the, mm-hmm. and that's all you ask. Um, and uh, so I, I always respected that out of Jeff because, and, and the thing about Jeff is that there'd be times where he would go inside his hauler for 40 minutes after a race, talk to his crew chief, and then he would come out and he would talk to us. You know, we, we, we would still be waiting there, uh, you know, especially those of us, like if I worked for NASCAR scene magazine and we had another reporter in the media center for the, to talk to the winner uh, and he would spend the time with us then, you know, and, and it wasn't like he was trying to rush or, or, I mean, he still maybe was wanting to rush and get out, but he always <laughs> respected the time. Dale Jr. is, you know, especially, you know, I was saying the last eight, 10 years of his career was always very respectful and uh, you know, and, and didn't uh, you know, and just again, was a guy who, seem to know really want to answer the questions so, so that you understood what what he was saying so you know i'd say that those guys you know it 
those have kind of been the ones who I felt have given us a lot of respect in the media and have, have appreciated it. Uh, I always say my favorite drivers are the, are the ones who, uh, or I wouldn't say my favorite drivers, but you know, people ask me, what do I want to see in a race? And I say, I always say, I want to see 40 drivers get out of their car, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and, and be healthy. That's, uh, and that's, you know, if, if that happens, then, you know, then everything else is, you know, is, is good. Mm-hmm. For sure. So it's jokes about that you're everywhere and you are, it's in on, on your Twitter page, on your banner, it's your face in the middle of a fight. Like you, you're just in the middle of it. And so and we, we've learned a little bit about how you make connections and you, you know, everybody within the garage and that's how you get a lot of your information. How often is it that you're getting your information formally versus informally where somebody who's really not supposed to be telling you from <laughs> within an organization is, is telling you something? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say 75% is formally and maybe 25% is informally. And most of the informal stuff needs to be confirmed through a formal channel before I, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, unless it, unless, it's a very rare occasion where I want somebody to risk their job to give me information like that, that would only occur if, if there's a safety issue of, of some sort or some, it's hard for me to even think of, you know, of, of what, what, what that would be, you know, um, again, it'd probably have to just, it would have to be a safety issue or some sort of, uh, legal issue that, you know, that, I mean, I don't want somebody to, to lose a job over what they tell me. I don't, it's, I don't think that, uh, that that's worth it for them, you know, now right. they still may want to do it. They still may <laughs> want to say it and that's, that's fine. You know, okay. But, you know, I'm, I'm not out there, um, you know, I, I don't want anybody to feel like, you know, oh, they, they, um, that they could get fired for, 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 for telling me this. Um, but then again, if somebody feels like that they're telling me something that they feel like they should get, that they might get fired for, then it might be a place that they don't want to be anyway. Right. You know, right. so, uh, but again, you know, I would, I would say it's mostly, I would say again, it's about seventy-five percent of people who um, who are comfortable telling me, and and there certainly are times where they say, "Hey, this is on background. You're gonna have to find it from you know another another source." Um, and and uh, and sometimes it's funny because you'll hear that from somebody, and then ten minutes later, somebody will say, "Hey, did you hear about this?" And it's like, "Oh, yeah, a lot <laughs> more people know about it than what this person just uh, just told me." But you know, I think the key you know, when you talk about that is that everybody, the question is, what is somebody's agenda, right? You know, if, if somebody, if a team owner says, Hey, I'm about to hire somebody, are they telling you that because, or a team executive saying that, are they selling you that so that other people who are trying to get that driver stop, uh, stop pursuing that driver, right? You know, or if somebody tells you, Hey, we got this sponsor, but the sponsor isn't confirming it yet. You wonder, are they really have it or are they trying to, um, trying to make, trying to keep others from, uh, from doing it. Or if they're asking you, Hey, don't, you know, that's not true yet. Are they telling you it's not true because it's not, or because they're trying to, uh, protect, uh, protect sensitive negotiations or just negotiations they don't want out there. So I think it's, um, and so you're always balancing that you're always wondering, okay, why is this person, telling me this because I mean, I, I think I'm a nice person, but I don't know that they're <laughs> telling me if, uh, because they want to be helpful 
they're, they're not always telling me to be helpful to me. There, there sometimes is an is an ulterior or a, a motive that will uh, that will help themselves, or they just feel that it's uh, news that should that should get out there. Well, and we read this article by Jeff Gluck, and he mentioned that you will, in your spare time, sometimes peruse court files and all this extensive information. Uh, is that truth? That, that, that uh, that's, that's true. You... Did you see Chris Busher? Do you see Rash Fenway's tweet the other day uh, with Chris Busher? Uh, they were talking about speeding tickets and uh, mm -hmm. they asked him about speeding. He got like two tickets in a week, I think. <laughs> and they asked, they, they were like, do you know how we know about this? This was just like Roush. And, and he's like, yeah, I think Bob Pockers was creeping on some public <laughs> records. And, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, look, speeding tickets, as long as it's uh, not, uh, you know, not a hundred miles an hour, probably not going to write a full story or do much with it, but you're always checking, I'm always checking public records as much as, <laughs> as much as I can from, uh, from New York. And uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I think that's as part of being a journalist as part right. of knowing what's going on. The, you know, everybody wants to know, well, how much does a driver get paid or how much is a sponsorship worth? And the only way to know that is through public records, because unless somebody, nobody's going to give you a copy of the contract, <laughs> you know? So the only way to know, to, to do that is to know, is to find these, these things where they've be, gotten into uh, legal issues and where they become uh, public records and, and <laughs> public documents. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just part of being, that's just part of being a journalist. And you mentioned earlier that you'll run and listen to a podcast or something like that. We know you're listening to ours when you're running. So um, <laughs> what are some of the other outlets that you're using? I mean, what, like what type of podcast are you listening to or mm -hmm. what type of news are you listening to yeah, to so, better educate yourself? Right. So, um, you know, first off to plug Fox, I listen to Michael Waltrip's podcast and I listen to uh, um the People's Sports Podcast, uh, this podcast that we that Fox Sports recently started. Uh, that's a general sports podcast. Um, I'll listen to um, the Dirty Mo Media podcast, Dale Juniors and Dale, and Door Bumper Clear. I listen to uh, Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi's podcast, The Teardown from the Athletic. I listen to Nate Ryan's NBC uh, podcast. I listen to Kelly Crandall's interviews that she does on the Racing Writers podcast. Um, I, I'll listen to uh, ESPN's daily podcast. I listen to a couple of sports media podcasts. And it, when I get time, especially during the off season, when all these aren't around, I'll listen to uh, what's a podcast called The Next Big Idea, which mm -hmm. is often, a, which is a podcast of, uh, done by authors and uh, talks, you know, often somebody who's maybe thinks a little bit differently or, or studied, um, uh, you know, some sort of issue. Uh, and, and, and discusses that. And I listen to all my podcasts on double time. So you're mm -hmm. going, gosh, he listens to a, to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> um, but uh, I listen to, um, I listen to them all at double speed. So once you, it's, it's very strange to hear Dale Jr. talk now, because I'm used to listening to <laughs> his, uh, his uh, podcast when he's talking uh, two times as fast. So, but I think that's a great way to listen to to uh, podcast, especially if you're just trying to, you know, generate ideas for yourself or see what people are saying. Uh, you're not hanging necessarily on every word that they, that they say. And uh, it, you can get, uh, obviously get a lot more done. Mm -hmm. 
And, and Dale Jr. might sound normal. He's got that slow twang, so he might just actually sound like a normal person talking. <laughs> so it was only hard when he had Steve Letard on because Steve and Letard talked. Uh, it was uh, it yeah. was really really he fast. He talks fast, yeah. So a recent poll found that NASCAR had a strong growth within the Gen Z adults, which is eighteen to twenty-three. Um, and over the past. A decade so many people just talk about the decline of nascar in different areas what do you think contributed to that growth and and how is that sustainable with young young kids and even into millennials yeah um you know it was it was great to see that uh do i have an explanation for it no um you know is it i mean i think the key is is relevancy and you know uh are is the, was there is the car making a little bit of a comeback now? Are people now getting back into cars after there was a time they were, you know, a car is just a mode of transportation, right? And it's, uh, you know, if I, if I can get a zip car and I own a car, then cool, I won't own a car. And so maybe there's a little bit, um, maybe especially at this time, you know, people are at home, maybe just kind of working on cars or, or, or learning more about cars. Maybe it's increased enthusiasm for the cars. I think as new as the younger drivers get a little bit more popular showing a little bit more personality you know i mean chase elliott's the most popular driver but you know him giving the middle finger salute to kyle bush <laughs> out there and then winning the bounty and doing kyle bush's bow right doing yep. the bow I, you know that was something that i don't know that chase elliott from three or four years ago would do right <laughs> uh, but now he seems you know comfortable a little bit more who he is I mean, great. It's just 24, right? So I think some of these young drivers are now showing a little bit more personality and maybe that is in uh, engaging, engaging more, more fans, uh, fans as well. So, you know, I, th I think the key is, is that it's, um, the, the key is going to be is to create passion and what, what creates passion and, you know, the other sports, team sports have that because if you grew up a if you grew up whatever city you grew up in you're probably a fan of those sports teams and whatever college or city your parents are from you're probably a fan of those teams right mm -hmm. and in nascar it used to be well you lived if your family was a chevy family or a ford family and so you root for chevy drivers or ford drivers and and th there's not that much right yeah you look me look at your <laughs> sign behind you but there are fewer and fewer people who are like that right there the connection to a manufacturer mm -hmm. has decreased and so that so nascar has to find ways to uh to create passion and, and the other way and i'm rambling a little bit but the other way other sports create passion is that not only do you root for the teams that you're from, but you root for people who are from your area, right? So I covered, I worked in, when I worked for Daytona Beach for 12 years, I covered Vince Carter in high school. All right, <laughs> nice. I covered Brian Lochte in high school. Um, you know, so athletes like those who then go on for, you know, into bigger fame, th those communities are gonna root for those teams or those individuals. And, what happened with NASCAR is that a lot of the drivers never raced at a hometown track, right? Or they, Eric Jones raced one year in Michigan before doing national or regional races and he didn't build up that fan base. And so mm -hmm. I think the, the, you know, you look at somebody like Chase Elliott who remains living in Georgia and, and that parade that he had in Dawsonville, yeah. 
you know, if, if, if every driver had that type of hometown passion, now granted that you're talking about generations of Elliot's there. <laughs> so that certainly helps. But if other drivers have that passion that from their communities, I think that would be, you know, that would be obviously a huge boost because the, because people have a reason to watch on Sundays. Uh, I often use Joe Nemechek as an example and that, you know, Joe Nemechek isn't the most personal guy in the world, right? But he raced for years in Florida. And if you were from Florida, you watched on Sundays because you had watched Joe Nemechek on Saturday nights at your local track. And I think NASCAR needs to find ways to get back to that kind of connection with their fans. And I think they're doing a little bit better job of it. And maybe that is a little bit also a reason why they're, uh, they seem to be on a little bit of an uptick. That's a great point and perspective. Uh, it seems in NASCAR, everybody's got an opinion. I know you see this on social media all day, how, how they can make the sport different or better in their eyes. So changing the playoff, changing the point system, adding this track, taking away that track, more road courses, all this stuff. Is there anything that you feel passionate about that NASCAR could do differently in the future? Um, whether it's, it would be really hard for them to achieve or not, is there anything that you um, feel passionate about that they should be doing? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we talked about just talked about it a little bit. I think that they should say a team can only have two charters, but they can have three or four if they put a diversity driver or a local track champion in a truck. Uh, because I think that's the way to create passion, right? You're creating a reason, you're, you're giving a talented individual an opportunity that they might not be able to have if they don't have sponsorship, right? Why, mm -hmm. you know, all, everybody wants Josh Berry at Junior Motorsports to do well, right? Everybody's rooting for him because they've been watching him in North Carolina for years with lots of races. So there needs to be a way for the Josh Berries of the world, uh, the, uh, you know, their the, the, the other driver, you know, the Bubba Pollards of the world, the, the, the um trying to think of uh you know clay rogers uh from uh from the tennessee area you need those or i'm sorry if it's not from tennessee might be from carolina but the drivers who who race locally to have a path up to uh to cup and not be having to spend seven six hundred seven hundred fifty grand a million dollars to run a 12 race arca schedule you know that's so that's that's why i think that I, I would like to see uh, NASCAR have a have a way have a way have an incentive program that that the cup owners, um, you know, and look, I know they're spending a lot of money, but they there needs to be a needs to be an incentive program for them to uh, to work with uh, young drivers. And in that sense, I would also I'm a big believer. I, I'm not a big believer in saying cup drivers should only do five Xfinity races. What I do think they should do is say cup drivers can do five Xfinity racers, but they can do 10 or 12 if that car runs the rest of the year with one or two young non-cup drivers. Because what I think NASCAR needs to do is find a sponsor, because I believe that would encourage a team, much like Ganassi did with, with you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and without this type of incentive, uh, where you'd have, you know, if, if I'm a sponsor and I want Kyle Busch in, and, and I can get him for 10 or 12 races, maybe I spend the extra million, pay this young kid virtually nothing, right? Or, you know, he gets purse money, yeah. but I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend that extra money on Kyle Busch and potentially spend a little extra money, be aligned with a young driver, give that young driver an opportunity, but also potentially that sponsor might also want to work with that young driver as well. 
And so then when Kyle Busch retires, maybe that, that young driver now, if they performed well, has a connection to this, to this sponsor. So I, I, I just think that uh, NASCAR, that, that sometimes they make decisions that I want them to create passion. <laughs> That's what I want to do. And, yeah. and I think just the, you know, and I just think the Kyle Busch rule of, oh, you can only have that this cup drivers can only do five races. I mean, most of them weren't doing more than five. It was only Kyle Busch and, mm-hmm. and people, I always felt they didn't hate as much that Kyle Busch won as much as that he, um, he blew by the field, right? He was just so much better and they didn't want mm-hmm. to see a butt whipping. If you had Chase Briscoe and Kyle Busch fighting for the win, like they did at Darlington every week, I don't think anybody would mind Kyle Busch in the Xfinity races, right? right. Uh, but that's not what has happened. And, um, and so I do think that, uh, again, I, I, it does NASCAR no good to have um, Penske run a part-time car for just their cup drivers and not have another driver running the rest of the series. I, like to me, that does nothing right. uh, except get, get that cup driver a little extra experience or help maybe with a one race or two race sponsor. But if we can find a way to have that and also potentially, um, and have an incentive program to have a younger driver in there. I think that that again that again would help. And again, that would you would hope. And, and maybe it's maybe this again. This you asked if it's possible or not. And I'm dreaming. But <laughs> like, okay, so let's say they need an extra million or two million to run the rest of the year without that Cup driver. Is that going to be from a sponsor, or is that going to be a driver who brings money? Well, okay, maybe it's a driver who brings money, but maybe potentially it opens up another opportunity for right. a, for the Josh Berries of the world to potentially get a significant number of races and show what they can do. For sure. So uh, matters of the heart, Bob. I mean, people hate one lug nut. They <laughs> hate that they're bringing the synchronous gearbox. They're, they're, everybody's, oh, it's going to be an F1 car before we know it. Do mm-hmm. you have as strong of feelings about some of this stuff as the thousands of people who will yeah. comment on one of your posts? Right. Like, here's the thing the five, I want five lug nuts. And I think NASCAR <laughs> actually won five lug nuts. But I mean, and listen, I talked to the Wood Brothers about this, and they're good with one lug nut because they just don't see, because first off, if it's a, if it's a steel five lug nuts, it's too heavy at 18 inches wide. All right. Okay. It just, you, you can't the, the physically, the, 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 it's going to, it's going to be difficult. So if you're going to aluminum 18 inch wheel, they could not figure out a way they say to do it five lug nuts and have the integrity of the wheel that you had to have a center that it had to be one big center lug to really have the integrity that they needed out of that wheel and that they tried and tried and they couldn't come up with it. You know, and, and the Wood Brothers believe it. So I'm going to be like, okay, I believe it. You know, like part of me is like, well, they have the greatest engineers in the garage. Couldn't somebody have figured it out? But, <laughs> you know, uh, so, and, and look, you know, some, your, 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 your own car, some have five lug nuts, a lot have a center lug. So, I mean, I think for the, I, I wanted to see pit stops with five lug nuts. That's what I would right. want, but I understand why they're making the change with all the other changes to the next gen car that, you know, that this was one that was, 
it's unfortunate. I don't think it's going to ruin the sport. I mean, I don't, you know, they, when you watch the films of people doing one lug, a center lug nut and still having to carry the tires and, and put it on, I mean, it's not, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit different, but it's still going to take, it's still the movement and the sync and the synchronicity of the, of the pit stop is still there. So, um, you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't hate it, but I don't, you know, I, I, I think it's unfortunate that, uh, that it's that it's there. So yeah. um, I haven't heard as many complaints about the sequential gearbox. Um, you know, it's I mean the whole car is supposed to be de is designed so that it'll race better on road, road courses, partly. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're adding going to six or seven road courses. Right. Uh, and you want a car that runs well on road course. You want you want BLC drivers slinging that thing around and not necessarily fighting the, the the car as much as they do now right and 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 kind of seeing, seeing cars i mean you want to see them go fast and, and so you want to see them be able to maneuver and so uh you know i think that a lot of these some of these changes are designed to do that these changes are designed the body changes are designed to do two things one is to prevent a cut tire, right? You know, with the composite, but you don't see cut tires in Xfinity from, from, from cars banging into each other door to door, right? Because the, mm -hmm. it just pops back out as you would with the steel. And then the other is that they hope that, you know, that it brings back the ability to uh, get up on somebody's rear corner and get them loose and go by them, right? And that's like, to me, that's a big, big deal. You know, we, we always joke about, uh, remember when Kyle Busch ran into uh, the back of Smithley, right? Was he ran in the right. back of Smithley a year and a half ago? And to me, the most amazing thing on that was that he didn't wreck and nobody <laughs> wrecked, you know? I mean, that's how planted those cars are to the ground. And so, you know, that's, that, to me, that was the worst part of it. Like, how can you hit somebody that hard and then both <laughs> still keep going? So I, I, if, if you're able to use the draft or not use the draft, but if you're able to get beside somebody, especially on a short track or a big track and able to get up on their corner and just loosen them a little bit to get by them, I think that's going to create, um, create the racing that people want to see without it being necessarily as, um, as like draft dependent as it is right now on right. some of the uh, intermediate tracks. Yeah. So switching gears just a little bit, um, you did a video about Jimmy Johnson and I've been a big Jimmy Johnson fan and you said it kind of captured the essence of Jimmy Johnson. And I watched it probably like six or seven times. So, I, I mean, it was just so cool to see that. And when there's somebody that transcendent and has been in the sport so long, what's it like when somebody like that leaves and how long do you think it's going to be before we see somebody of that magnitude come back into the sport? Well, I mean, again, from what we talked about earlier, you know, I know there are a lot of people, there are a lot of Jimmy Johnson haters out there, but if you go to the West Coast, when you went to the West Coast, there were a ton of Jimmy Johnson fans. And so, you know, so now who are all these fans going to root for? Are they going to, you know, are they going to root for Kyle Larson because he's from California? You know, I I don't know. You know, are they rooting for Harvick because he has California roots? Um, it, I just think that a lot of people gravitated towards Jimmy. He had come up through bikes and off-road a lot a lot of people that enthuse a lot of people in california he were very relatable um to a west coast crowd so i mean i think it's i don't think you, you don't really 
you, you certainly don't replace him, you know, with one person. I think people, his fans will have to choose other drivers to follow and hopefully they have a choice, you know, hopefully that there's other people. Now, will they all, will they start following Alex Bowman? Cause he's in the 48 now. I don't, I don't know about that. You know, I, when you had uh, Bill Elliott leave Casey Kane, all, all Bill, a lot of Bill Elliott fans became Casey Kane fans, right? Because he got into that car. I don't, I don't know that you're going to have, you know, I think Alex Bowman has his fan base. And, and they'll go with them. But I don't know that you're going to see a lot of, oh, I was a Jimmy Johnson 48 fan. I've, I've got a root for Alex Bowman now, you know? Uh, so um, again, I just think, you know, certainly there's a void, but, you know, the, the thing is that Jimmy's what he won one title in the last seven years. Right. So there've been a lot of other people who've won titles. It's right. not like it's somebody who's uh, who's won a bunch of titles recently or for that matter, won races recently, uh, you know, that, that replacing. So I think fans have certainly had their time to be able to kind of find the driver that they want to root for in their mm-hmm. post Jimmy Johnson fandom. For sure. With, with a lot of big drivers and even small ones, you've followed them their whole career. Like Jimmy, uh, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad. You see crown jewels, notch championships, and even like scandals, um, bad stuff like scandals with Jeremy Mayfield Kyle Larson, um, and, and then unfortunately, uh, even death sometimes. What, what comes to mind when it when it's like the best and the worst of the stories that you've had to cover? Uh, well, I mean, I think I think everybody would say the worst would have been Dale Sr.'s death, right? In, uh, in the 2001 Daytona 500, just because of the emotions and the realization that, you know, there were three drivers who died the year before of similar injury and, and not much was done about it. You know, and there wasn't a whole lot of, I mean, people were more uh you know i mean that i mean death happened so it, it didn't necessarily call i mean it certainly was concerning to people but it wasn't it, the reaction certainly didn't it, you know they they didn't start changing rules after adam petty died right you know i mean it's the unfortunate thing that it took dale senior the tragedy of dale senior to really have let, force the sport to uh, really examine itself and make change. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so that, that to me, you know, certainly was one of the, <laughs> one of the saddest days. And then I would say, you know, when you were there uh, in July that year and Dale Jr. wins the, the race in Daytona is, you know, one of the more incredible moments uh, mm-hmm. of, and, and, and what happens on that day. And, you know, and there are things that <clears throat> I think, you know, especially when you're covering sport in the nineties, uh, there's driver from Daytona who died in Daytona the same week Neil Bonnet did. His name was Rodney Orr who died in Daytona practice. And I covered him from his goodies dash series days. Uh, you know, and then, uh, when Tony Renna died in Indianapolis in a test and he was from Deland, Florida, uh, and he was racing in the, you know, he's in the Indy 500 Firestone tests, uh, at Indianapolis for the Indy 500 or IndyCar. And, and died. I think those, you know, obviously when you know people that well um, and you know their families, it's, um, it's certainly, it's certainly heartbreaking. Then it was part of racing, you know, and it's still part of racing. But um, I think one of the things that Ryan Newman's rec taught or reminded everyone is that this is just such a dangerous sport and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and tragedies can and do happen. Uh, if you talk about incredible championship moments, I would have to say the Tony Stewart, Carl Edwards battle. Yeah. was you know was one of those moments that you're like oh my gosh you know what's 
what, what's happening. How's Tony coming back? And are they really going to end in a tie? And is it going <laughs> to the tiebreaker? And is this really the same Tony Stewart who I was standing next to, you know, 10, 10 weeks earlier when Justin Long um, asked him who if he was one of the favorites and he said, no, you know, he wouldn't pick him or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, there, there's certainly been a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of ups and downs. We know you, you like to hike and, or you, you like to run, mm-hmm. but I always see pictures of you. It, it looks like you're hiking. Do you also like to hike too? Uh, no, usually I'm, I'm running or if I'm, <laughs> if I, you know, a lot of those pictures I take when I'm, when I'm running. So, uh, I mean, I do some hiking, but not, not a ton. There, there aren't that many places to hike around here. So the pictures are just pretty. So I assume you're hiking. Right? <laughs> right. Is it what? So what are, what are the other things that you like to do? Um, any other sports that you're watching or any other hobbies that you have? Yeah. I mean, I watch a lot of sports. Um, you know, uh, I, you know, especially working for Daytona Pay for 12 years, I covered the world cup when it was in Orlando nice. and then in the nineties, you know, so always paying attention to what's going on in the soccer world. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, I watch, watch a lot of college sports uh, and pro football and pro basketball, a little baseball. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, I, I love the the speed of a f- pro football game. It's just amazing. You know, if you're, you know, when you cover it and if you're down on the field for the last three or four minutes before the end of the game, it's, it's just an amazing thing to see just how quick and how violent that that game is um basketball to me is just a beautiful game you know and uh, just uh you know uh thought you, i couldn't get enough watching of alan iverson you know um and just right. what he what he could do with uh, with a basketball um so it's uh yeah I, I watch a lot of you know i try to pay attention to what's going on in other sports obviously during the season i i don't really pay a lot of attention to football till november <laughs> a lot of times uh so um but uh yeah it's you know and uh but i'm mostly paying attention to that uh and uh or i'm listening to podcasts as i'm running in yeah. your spare time in yeah. your spare time <laughs> yeah well so you, uh, you, yeah go ahead Bart. Uh, you, you, so you've been in the sport for like nearly 30 years now, if, if you count all your, your days back in Daytona. Um, and for us, we're just fans, but we're just getting started with this podcast. I've been doing it for almost a year now. Um, what kind of advice do you have for us? Maybe if, if you, you had wished you had known something when you were getting involved in NASCAR or even into auto racing back in the day. Yeah. I would just say, you know, be open to, uh, to new ideas and be open to, I mean, I think, what NASCAR learned this year is that they can do anything, right? You know, no practice, no qualifying, um, you know, only four or five crew members per car, you know, and, and, you know, you just like we were talking about the single lug, you know, okay. You may hate it right now, but at least watch it and give it a chance and then Mm -hmm. make a decision. You still may hate it, (laughs) but I, you know, I, I was somebody who I, I didn't think Eldora for trucks was going to be all that great. A race um mainly because it couldn't be as great as like the dream where you had actual cars that were designed to race on our dirt track race you know if i want to go to dirt track i want to see bloomquist and and josh richards and, and and these guys who make their names on racing dirt late models uh but that race turned out to be a pretty good race right it it, it may have been 
yeah, they weren't uh, going as fast as maybe you wish they were, but it, that race just turned into a great event. So I would just say be, be open-minded. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't say, give your opinion, like, give your opinion. But then when it actually happens, be like open-minded enough to at least say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to watch it and see if I actually can stomach it or, or not, uh, not, not hate it as much, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, uh, that, that would be, that would be my advice. Yeah. So, we, as- we tried to do that throughout the year as we would, we noticed that we were kind of getting complainy for a little mm-hmm. bit. And then we said, uh, Steve Phelps is actually doing a good job here. And we asked for something different and he delivered it. So let's see how yeah. it goes. Well, and I mean, and the thing is, it's, uh, I mean, like, it's good to have opinions, right? Cause people, you want people to listen to your podcast for mm-hmm. opinions, right? We, we don't, you don't want it to just be, Oh, everything is great or <laughs> okay. You know, but I, I would say just, you know, um, it's okay to say that you were wrong. You were wrong. And, and it's okay to say, you know, Hey, I didn't agree with it. Um, and it, and the fact is that once you start doing it, people remember what you said, so you're not going to be able to run away from it. <laughs> so it's f- fine to say, Hey, I was not a fan of this, but I watched it and it's starting to grow on me a little bit. The double yellow line's ever going to grow on me. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, yeah. Well, and that, that's okay. You know, that's, um, uh, you know, that's, it, I, I would say this, don't let your, frustrations ruin your enthusiasm for the sport for sure sure. awesome well uh, again we appreciate it um you know we had a dream of having you on the show (laughs) a long time ago and um thanks to pocono for introducing us and thank you for taking taking the time to be on with us i appreciate it and hope uh you know, and I would say though, that if you do get a Ford driver that maybe you're going to have to take out your <laughs> sign or get a parking for Ford racing fans yeah. only sign, I'll put one beside it, I'll you put know, one or something it. like that. Uh, so that, uh, so that they feel a little more comfortable. So for we sure, David, David drove a Ford. So it's a mix of both. If they're looking back and forth. That, that's true. That's true. <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks Bob and have a good one. And we'll look forward to hearing from you every day for the next 365 of them all right looking forward to it thank you guys bye well that was a very cool interview bob is the man i I learned a a ton from that yeah. And, th- and that's what the goal of the podcast is, is for us to be able to not only learn ourselves and we've mentioned it, we, we love learning more as we do these episodes, but being able to learn about him, somebody that gives us all of this stuff, we hear from him all the time, but we're never hearing like, oh, these are the podcasts I listen to, or this is why I'm a five lug nut guy. And I never expected Bob Pockris to I be a shocked. five lug nut guy. Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a ton of fun, uh, obviously grateful to him because, you know, he gave us, gave us the time we, we tried to get him on a year ago and, uh, you know, what a way to kick off 2021 for us, but we do have some cool updates coming in for the NASCAR season. Uh, we're about to start, like you said, in 33 days. So, uh, there's not that many to get to, but, uh, what do we have first off? Well, uh, Cliff Daniels, Obviously, I had to move on from Jimmy. We'll miss Jimmy. But uh, yeah, I had to move on. So he's going to be on top of the five tower. So he's uh, Kyle Larson's crew chief. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good move. Uh, 
Cliff moved up with Jimmy after yep. um, Chad Knauss moved over to William Byron. So uh, cool to see him getting another opportunity within the same team. Um, Bubba Wallace as the first driver of 23XI, he's going to have Mike Wheeler as his crew chief. And Mike Wheeler is the former competition director for Levine Family Racing, who is no longer around. So uh, he cool. made a move over to the crew chief box, which will be cool to see him take that position. Yeah, that's really cool. So Jack Knauss is obviously moving on from William Byron's uh, pit box, and he's moving up the ladder, and he's going to be a big wig at Hendrick Motorsports. Um, very um, much deserved. Who's going to take the the position over? It's going to be Rudy Fugel, and uh, he he used to work with William Byron when William was at KBN Kyle Busch Motorsports. So he's moving back over um, from trucks to the Cup. So great opportunity for him. I think that could potentially work out pretty well. Yeah, they they had some success while they were at KBM down there in the truck series. And then Daniel Suarez. I mean, this guy's on his fourth team in four years, and he has secured a cup ride with the new team, Trackhouse Promotions. They're the team that uh, came in and is pretty much renting a charter from Spire Motorsports and he'll be driving the number 99 for them. So uh, good, good to see him back in. Never want to see anybody kind of kicked out of the sport and uh, he's had to move around quite a few times. So we'll see how he does at the new uh, track house per, or track house racing team. Yeah, definitely Bill for him had a great spot, Stuart Haas. And then mm -hmm. uh, last year he didn't have the greatest of rides. So, I feel good about some of these new teams coming in. I hope that they uh, put the right funding behind it. And the, the next gen car is something that they're all able to put a lot of money in into and um, compete equally. So yeah, uh, hopefully we see him uh, running back in the top 20 at some point. Uh, then we got Ross Chastain. Uh, we don't, we don't know who's going to be his crew chief for the 42. Yeah. It seems like that's something that you need to have figured out here in the next month or so. I mean, we're <laughs> getting, getting there <laughs> yeah we're getting to crunch time for old uh watermelon man so um who knows who's going to be up there but i'm sure with uh, a, a good team like that he'll he'll have somebody good to be atop the the pit box but uh we've got a second installment of nascar story coming up and you've got a cool story to tell us bart what are you going to be talking about next week for sure yeah i love the history of nascar and how it all got started and so uh, we're going to highlight the beaches of Daytona. So uh, right when NASCAR got started in um, the late 40s. So highlight that um, because it's not exactly what you think. If you don't know the story, NASCAR wasn't the first car to set higher on the beaches of Daytona. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned for that next week. As always, we thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Going In Tight, Coming Out Loose. This is season two. We're going to keep bringing stuff to you guys weekly. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We ask you to subscribe, rate, review, follow. Do whatever you can do to, to help us out, and we'll keep bringing you guys this content. You can also follow us on our social media at goingintight underscore pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook, or you can head over to our website, goingintightpodcast.com. We want to thank Bob for being a part of the episode, and we look forward to talking to you guys next week and bringing you the second installment of NASCAR Stories.